0: Hello and welcome back to Not A Perfect Parent, the podcast where we share the extraordinary wisdom of ordinary parents. So this week is a little bit different, this is the last episode of our first series. I am so so grateful to all of the parents who have come on to Not A Perfect Parent to be brave and wonderful enough to share their stories I have learned so much. We have had such wonderful feedback. And I thought that a nice way to end it would be to share the Not A Perfect Parent story and why I created it, what it means to me, and to include my own mum in our story, who is the inspiration, really, for Not A Perfect Parent. So here I am being as vulnerable as all the proudly not perfect parents so far. I hope you enjoy it.
1: Hi and welcome to Jess's Not A Perfect Parent podcast. My name's Karen and today she is a guest on her own podcast. Welcome Jess.
0: Oh, thank you. It looks very different on this side of things.
1: (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. So I think this is going to be a really interesting episode for your listeners. So if we can start with you just telling us a little bit about your parenting journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an adoptive parent. So we started our journey quite a while before our children came home. And they're now two and three. So it's love and chaos in our household, along with the two (laughs) cats and the chicken. So yeah, learning every day. What were your expectations at about becoming a parent well I think I was maybe a little bit unusual because for various reasons I always knew that I was going to adopt and I was probably about 16 when I definitively said that's how I'm going to become a mum and it had a lot to do with my own mum who suffered with really complex and eventually really long-standing postpartum issues that morphed into a nasty illness that lasted for the rest of her life but it was triggered by her first pregnancy. So for me, this was something that was always in my mind. But what I noticed when I made that decision, because there was a part of me, and I spoke to uh, my dad about it particularly, that worried that I made that decision out of fear. Uh, I know a lot of women who really feel the want to have children biologically. And I didn't have that. I just always knew that my children would be out there. And because we'd had quite a lot of complications when i was young because of my mum's illness we were in contact with social services as young kids so i also had a lot of empathy compassion for my children's birth family i really respect their birth mum as the person who gave birth to them and i don't deny her place in their life and the fact that she carried them so i think adoption is really complex it came from a lot of the trauma that we dealt with as a family. Actually, by the time I got there, I was very peaceful with that. For a lot of the parents that I work with, there's been a lot of difficulty, complexity, and the decision to adopt is a really different one and a really different experience. Often people come to it already having suffered a lot of loss and not anticipating but creating their family in that way I always knew that I would but I also kind of thought it was a well-oiled machine so that was a a surprise
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes I can imagine so your journey to becoming a parent has it had its challenges the adoptive process
0: yes and um I should say as well that my husband was maybe a little bit unusual because I told him that this is how I was going to create my family, that I, I didn't want to become pregnant. I didn't have that desire. And he was okay with that very quickly. He, he was quite surprised. And we had the conversation many years before we had children. Well, his own podcast is called, I always thought I'd have biological children because he did, he made that kind of assumption and. I sort of knew what the adoption process might entail as in I knew that it was a deep dive into your life so it starts with an amount of paperwork or at least when we did it and there's lots of waiting involved so lots of waiting for your medical or waiting for paperwork to come back we had lived in Canada for a little while so we had to wait for a criminal records check from Canada and then it didn't come so we had to obtain it another way and All sorts of different processes that he probably didn't anticipate going through. More than a year of, well, lots of things because the social workers are involved in your life after your children are placed. And then your interview stage, which comes after your paperwork stage, is for us, it's four months is I think the target, the government target, which often isn't the case depending on how staffed they are. Um, We were lucky enough to have a, a social worker from the moment that we called to make an inquiry to after our children came home we had the same social worker and she was amazing and obviously she ends up knowing an awful lot about you but I know lots of families who had three four five social workers in that period of time really making judgments on if you're suitable to have this child based on all sorts of different things which of course is right but can feel really invasive and I was prepared for that and he wasn't necessarily but really was amazing about all of it but we did definitely have some challenges so our social worker was fantastic um one of our children's social workers made things really challenging actually in lots of different ways we were given lots of false information there's an awful lot of waiting we knew about our daughter before she was born and we weren't allowed information because they hadn't made the decision for adoption yet but they had said you have to be ready for her and that went on for a really long time so it was very difficult and although you expect a level of that it could have definitely been made much easier so that was really frustrating and we eventually did have to put in a formal complaint and that's a really nerve-wracking experience because you're making a fuss to the people who get to make these decisions about what your family is going to look like and so that was quite scary at the time and very very stressful and again went on for a long time and honestly I think was dealt with quite poorly we were challenging systems that are part of big clunky systems that have done things the way they've done things for a long time and so it, that can be really difficult when you're part of the adoption process. Speaking to different adoptive parents, it really matters who you're working with. Um, so I'd encourage anybody, if if you're in that situation, although it was really, really difficult for us, we knew that we had to do it because we knew we still had a long way to go. And it might have meant for our children that we didn't come together in the time that we had as a family. So that's why we did it. And it did really matter and really make a difference. So even though it sometimes feels like you haven't really got a voice in this process because there's a point at which you don't know your children. And then there's a point at which you become their parent and they become your family. And that in the adoption process is often a bit of a blurred line, but trust yourself, trust your gut. And it really changed our experience and made it an awful lot better. So I don't regret it, but it was tricky.
1: And, How did you manage the stress and the emotion during that process between yourself and your husband and just yourself within? I can imagine it is a stressful time, lots of waiting, lots of forms to fill in. How did you manage your emotions and your stress levels?
0: Yeah, I think as well, it was a bit trickier because we were adopting, going through the process during the pandemic. So I think often there's a a really great amount of peer support. And also you do lots of formal training in groups of other people in similar situations, often locally. So you get to know adoptive families around you. If you do have a good relationship with your social worker, I would draw on that and just say, these are the things that I need that are going to reassure me. Can you give me a date? Can you give me? And our social worker, I really can't fault her. She was fantastic. And the social worker that we got after we had made our complaint was also really, really good because things do slip through the net. It's things like very important information that we got given two weeks before our daughter was placed. She was 10 months old when she came home, despite the fact that we'd known about her since her birth mom was three months pregnant. And and even then, two weeks before she came home, we got given really situation changing information. So it's expecting the unexpected and really pulling on your support network your family your friends and that can be tricky because like anybody in any kind of situation some people are better placed than others to speak to so I would just think about who you're speaking to and what kind of support you're looking for and also I never thought I'd say this because I'm not really a big fan of Facebook groups but adoptive parent support groups on Facebook really great you can be honest, you can say what's going on for you, and you're more than likely going to find somebody who has had a similar experience or some kind of peer support. So I would say don't be surprised if it's an emotional roller coaster and look after yourself the best way you can. I was desperate for certainty, and I find that a really tricky thing to deal with. So, for example, from before we were approved we knew about both of our children and that our daughter was on the way and the likelihood is that she would be our daughter but it took until she was 10 months old for them to formalize that finalize that and tell us for sure and it was quite uncertain for most of that period of time so you've got to let it go because you've got no control over it whatsoever I always had a feeling of knowing with our daughter actually but anything can happen right up until the point that that legal process goes through. So you can be the day before that and another wait happens. So there's so much that's outside of your control and that is a really hard thing to deal with. So I would say use tools like EFT, do whatever you need to do, create a self-care plan for yourself and brace yourself for those ups and downs. They
1: probably are going to happen. Yeah. And of course, in the adoption process, Do you get parenting classes? You got your daughter when she was 10 months. Do they prepare you for a 10-month-old? There's workshops and classes
0: learning around the particular challenges that adopted children might face. So trauma, Mm. obviously a child might have been removed much later or it might have been as soon as they're born. In terms of practical, so it was really interesting because our children got younger So our son came home at 19 months and our daughter was 10 months old. The foster carers are amazing. Again, in the process, having spoken to ours, it felt like they didn't have much voice, which is amazing, considering that um, my son's foster carer had had him for over a year. She was amazing, amazing. And it's a process for the foster carer as well because they've got to let go of that child. Mm -hmm. And there's a point at which you have to take over and you actually feel that happening. So there's a transition week that you will spend at the foster carer's home and then you'll transition halfway through the week or 10 days or maybe three weeks, depending on the situation, to your home with the child. So you'll share for a period of time the care and then you move the child to your home and then you move the child in. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: over that period of time, the foster carer's life completely changes, especially if it's been a long-term placement. So yeah, we were absolutely so grateful. And she was perfect. She was the absolute perfect balance of teaching us, who really had no experience with young children whatsoever. I didn't know how to change a nappy. I didn't know how to do a bath. I didn't know what cries meant. And obviously he already had his personality Mm -hmm. and I couldn't tell what was kind of upset at bedtime and what was just you know was going to pass as soon as I left the room I didn't know and she was amazing at standing back and then offering help where, where it was really supportive so I think that's an incredible balance to strike and my son's transition was absolutely seamless and I genuinely attribute that to his foster carer because she provided everything that a warm and loving family would and then she let him go And she said, in the transition week, she said, I feel like he's been here for the perfect time and now he's going to the perfect family. So we did have the best possible experience that we could. It it, it showed. Because even though it must be really difficult for the foster carer, he slept through his first night. You know, he was just, that is because he had a secure attachment already and he was able to transfer Mm -hmm. it. So I think foster carers make much more difference than probably anybody knows because it's the absence of those difficulties that come from that amazing holding of that child for the period that they're there Mm.
1: i suppose they know your child as well that they can give you knowledge that you won't get off a social worker because they've had a totally different relationship with the child
0: absolutely especially when at the time we didn't have any young babies in the family neither one of us really had experience at all with young children. And then obviously our son was already coming up to being a little boy when he came home. So we were very nervous as any new parent is, because it was a slightly different situation. So we were nervous about different things than we would have been had he been a newborn. So it was, that week was really amazing for us. And our transitions were brilliant with both of our kids. But I think, again, when you talk to people who are struggling with the process, sometimes there's difficulties with relationships with foster carers with that really fragile balance between who's in charge and when that shifts. Not who's in charge, but who is kind of leading that care for the child, because that has to shift before the child moves in. But that's uncomfortable. That's an uncomfortable shift. When you're looking to them, we certainly did because we were completely new parents, looked to her for the period of that transition and then we started thinking we can do this on our own and that's exactly what you want but that's an uncomfortable shift when you've taken care of a child for more than a year so I think it can become difficult in those moments as well working out where that is so an important relationship with the social worker an important relationship with a foster carer really matters and those things are out of your control a lot of the time you can try and make them as great as they can be as positive as they can be, but there's lots of variables. So again, you're kind of back to the ups and downs and really I think with adoption and perhaps with parenting altogether, it's about, I really can't control this. I've just got to see what happens.
1: Perhaps the only thing you can control is how you show up in those circumstances, those relationships. Okay. When have you not felt like the perfect parent? Because obviously your children are quite young and uh, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> they're challenging at times. They're the best times, but they're also incredibly challenging. But yeah, when have you felt like not a perfect parent?
0: I think often, like most of us, but I think a time that really comes to mind is actually, um, it's funny when we talking about transition because it was when my daughter came home and it's, it's interesting how everything's connected and I support parents to work through their challenges and always, or, or very often, not always, you can follow things back and, and, and see how they came to be. And this was a really good example for me. So I talked about how we had, a like a lot of people, some challenges as I was growing up and I had a really difficult relationship with my own mum i lived out of the house probably for i don't know an average and your memory doesn't really serve you does it when you're little i believe it was about a quarter of the year on average as i was growing up because my mum had to be in a residential psychiatric unit fairly frequently and so i stayed with an aunt and actually it was interesting to me when i brought my children home to really understand because i lived with my aunt for 18 months after I was born while my mum recovered in a psychiatric unit. So for 18 months of my life, similarly to my son, it, my first 18 months, I was raised in a different home than than in my home. My mum passed away when I was 12. And actually a couple of months before she passed away, she said to me, I understand why you've always been closer to your aunt than to me. It's because of this early bonding at the time obviously didn't mean very much to me before I'd even hit my teenage years but actually now uh, I think she was probably right so that transition of attachment didn't happen in that seamless way that I've talked about and also it's important to remember that that was a family member who I saw probably every week then forever (laughs) so it wasn't like there's a there's a letting go there's a a point at which in the adoption process the parent becomes the parent and the foster carer takes a different role whereas obviously for me those two women i do think of them both as my mom in different ways because they were very present in my life but for lots of different reasons i worried about having a girl and i never really thought about the fact that i was worried about having a girl that it there was ease to my my son coming into my life that didn't exist with my daughter i knew that i was worried about being a girl mum, but it was one of those things that you just say oh you know I think it'd be harder having girls. We say these things and we sometimes don't notice that underneath them are our core beliefs and that they really change the way we think and feel and behave. So when she did come home, I was lucky enough to already be trained in EFT. I was lucky enough to recognize that I found myself disproportionately irritated. I found myself finding her behaviors challenging. And some of that, It's really important, and I say this to, um, whenever I talk to parents, and I'm grateful when people say it to me, is give yourself grace, because in the space of a year, we'd gone from zero children to two, two and under, and that is okay to find those things difficult, (laughs) but I felt the tug of something deeper, some clues that I now know that mean that EFT or something similar would be useful, that there's some thread to follow back, the feelings were familiar, they were disproportionate, totally disproportionate to what was happening during the day. So I went to a practitioner myself. Uh, I was lucky enough to know that that was what I needed. And I had three sessions. And in those sessions, I uncovered a memory. Uncovering memories with EFT is really, really common. It wasn't anything hidden. I was really familiar with it, but it just didn't feel like. There was anything particularly behind it but because it was so familiar that again is a good clue so the memory was i must have been four years old i guess i was upstairs in my bedroom and my mum came up and she was very angry she was shouting and she was shouting because she had been communicating with me in her mind telepathically she believed and i hadn't heard so it was for her it was like she'd asked me to do something 20 times and i hadn't listened for me, I was very confused as a, a young child. And there's a way in EFT that a skill practitioner like the one I went to can find out what is the belief that we made on that day. And these can be our core beliefs that change the way we show up in our lives. And the belief for me was that I was causing trouble. I was causing trouble because even by sitting on my own in my bedroom, without anybody talking to me I had made a problem and I internalized that belief and it's not something that you can consciously change or choose these are just the things that we learn and it's certainly not what my mum intended to give me I'm sure for her it was probably a moment that she never remembered again but these are just the things that happen as we go through life and bump up against it so that's what I'd created and that's what I'd carried and in absolute perfect practice and time and my practitioner said and how do you feel about your daughter and it hit me like an absolute ton of bricks but it was exactly the same feeling what else I learned from that is that I had formed a belief that early on which maybe did have an impact on my relationship with my mum that mothers and daughters don't have healthy relationships they don't have happy relationships And even though if you'd have said that to me, I would have laughed. I would have said, I absolutely don't believe that. It's not my mind that matters. It's what my body stored. So even though I didn't think that was true, I must have felt it was true. So I was protecting myself from a relationship that would inevitably break down by not having it. And I wasn't doing it on purpose. But that was what was going on for me unconsciously. I had three sessions. My daughter came back from nursery that evening and it was as if somebody had pulled a brick wall down between us i just saw her for this and i i continue to see her for this brave bold fearless shining person that she is how liberated i feel now without being under this this thing but how i can give myself grace for being there cuz i didn't choose it so if People find themselves struggling with something like that, where you think, what is going on here? And it's really easy to blame the behavior of the child or blame the behavior of the other person. It doesn't have to be a parent. It's worth looking in. And I don't mean that have a go at yourself. Absolutely don't. But just following that thread and being curious about what is really going on. Because my daughter could have grown up with a mother who kept her distance, That which is and I don't say this in any blaming kind of way, but is what I grew up with. And then we just go on and on, don't we repeating it? I think the answers always have to start by looking in.
1: Like we can't control anything outside of us, but we can go within and find out what's, what are our triggers and yeah. But I
0: certainly felt like not a perfect parent because I knew that I was being reactive And I was trying to understand it and justify it in my head. Like this had been a very difficult and everything was new and it was all an adjustment. And all of that was true, but I knew that there was something else going on. So I felt like not a perfect parent as we do whenever we get reactive, but we are human and we are as complicated now that we have our kids as we were beforehand. Even when you go inside and you start saying, okay, I want to make this change. don't have to do it with shame and with beating ourselves up because that's brave in itself totally we all struggle with different things and you can feel like oh well I'm the only one that does this or I'm the only one that's reactive and because we live in a shiny social media world but that that isn't the case and if you are reflecting at all
1: that's brave and and amazing If I can add, I think it's the greatest gift you can give to yourself and to your children is to, yeah, is maybe look within and open those doors. Maybe you don't want to look behind.
0: Yes, because we never do. And it's so human, isn't it? To turn away from things that are painful. Honestly, when she said, "How, how do you feel about your daughter? And I realized that it was exactly the same feeling it was like somebody punched me in the gut but I could see it very clearly then it must be from me because she's little she's not it's,
1: it's not a her problem <laughs> that's a a powerful story thank you for sharing what have you learned during your parenting journey I think
0: well two things I think one I've got a deep appreciation for my own parents that I didn't have before I had children which I think probably even though I'm sure there's things that all of us would change about the way that we're parented depending on how it felt for us um there's also lots of difficulties and sacrifices that I probably didn't appreciate before I was a parent myself And the other thing that I've learned, which took a little while, but which is a freeing thing to learn, which is really what Not A Perfect Parent is all about, is that even though at the beginning, or it was for me anyway, at the beginning, you're looking for the right answer and the right way to do things. I've learned that there's only your way and somebody else's. And ultimately, you are the expert on your family, yourself and your children. I think it's important to reflect and it's important to take feedback from people. We trust when we ask for it, but there's no right answer. <laughs> there's only the one you come to and it's about being peaceful with what intention that came from and what happens next. Cause everybody says we don't have a manual and it's absolutely true. And there's not one, there's not one hiding somewhere. I, I went looking for it for a while. <laughs> yeah. But it really is just you. I know,
1: yeah. And it would have to be specific to each child because every child is so different. They have different personalities, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to ask you a little bit about um, Not A Perfect Parent, um, your podcast, your um, work as an EFT practitioner. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So Not A Perfect Parent
0: was the first thing I thought of actually when I started my business and I just didn't know what it would become. When I first had my kids and I was looking for this perfect way of parenting because I thought it existed and lots of things in the world presented that way. I wanted to create a space where people had permission to talk about all of it. Often we have permission to talk about the joy of it of which there is, you know, depending on the day so much, but I wanted people to have permission to talk about the tricky bits as well. And there were spaces that I was in when I first became a mum that felt about competition and they felt about rather than support and collaboration. And they felt, I'm going to use the word smug. <laughs> <laughs> they felt about people using other people's hard experiences to feel better about the way that they were doing it there seemed to be some spaces in which there was a real hierarchy of motherhood and i just found that really strange because we will all fall off that pedestal it just depends on the day and the week those places just don't match my energy and it made me think very much of my mum because she didn't have a really good support network she had an amazing support network in my dad who was um just endlessly uh, loyal and and loving. But she experienced a lot of judgment and parenting is hard enough without managing psychosis on a regular basis. So I thought if my mum had listened to my podcast when she was in hospital and she wanted to be at home with her children, if she had listened to my podcast when she was well, but she was feeling like... I know she did when she wished that she didn't have the difficulties that she faced as a mum. I would want it to be like giving her a a cup of tea and a hug. And there's so many men, women, people, perhaps not with those challenges, but with different ones, because we all have some kind of challenge. And what I've learned from doing my podcast is that when we take down those walls of competition and this idea that we need to be perfect and this idea that we need to present in a certain way, we open the door for connection. I have learned so much. I don't think there's a parent on the planet that I couldn't learn something from. And I think that's true for all of us. I never ask somebody to go in a particular direction because I know that whatever they're bringing, somebody needs to hear. And when we open the doors for connection, we can learn from each other, we can support each other, and it's a lonely place. It must be trying to be mm-hmm. perfect. So, yeah, I think let's all just drop the mask. And it's not mm-hmm. to say, I hope it doesn't sound like let's be negative, because absolutely I don't think that. But life and parenting is an adventure. And on an adventure, you come across some hurdles. You know, you have the amazing things, but you have the, the you know, moats and dragons, <laughs> we all have our own i think there's such freedom such freedom and such lift in sharing our experiences
1: in a world of shiny social media perfection it's quite nice to have a little beacon that pushes away the facade and shows a bit of reality because it is it does have its ups and downs it definitely does Jess this has been an amazing podcast it's been very insightful I could ask you lots of questions but perhaps we can finish with what your parenting takeaway is I
0: think my parenting takeaway is nobody has the right answers and if you do feel trapped in that world of everybody seems to have a mask on and you can't keep up with it I think just remember nobody can nobody can keep up with everything with that juggle of work or um being a stay-at-home mom and keeping on top of everything all the time or there's no no matter what your situation is those ups and downs are allowed and these spaces do exist come and join us at not a perfect parent come and be part of our community where we celebrate the joy and we open up to the difficulties as well. Because if I hadn't chosen to do that, if I hadn't chosen to open up to the difficulties that I was having connecting with my daughter, I wouldn't have connected with her. So we're not opening up to difficulty so that we can sit in it. (laughs) We're opening up to difficulty so that we can move through it and past it is our freedom. And we can help each other get there. We can get so much further, so much easier if we pull each other up when we fall into the moats and save each other from the dragons and go on the adventure together because loneliness can easily happen. And it makes the journey much scarier, much longer, much colder and there's an alternative. If we find each other, then things become a lot easier, and the celebrations
1: are happier too when we can share them. Yeah. Community is so important, and I think it's a great way to get support when you're raising children. Thank you, Jess. I just want to say I think your story is amazing, and hats off to you. You're a An amazing woman, an amazing mum and an amazing EFT practitioner. Would you like to share with your audience where they can find you if they are looking for support in their parenting journey?
0: Yes, I'd like to ditto to you all of the things that that you said, and I'll put Karen's details at the bottom of the podcast as well. If you would like to find me, I would love to hear from you. Visit me at my website, which is breatheeasymeditation.co.uk, and you will find all the episodes of our podcast. You will also find information on one-to-one sessions. So no matter where you are in the world, and we can work online if you are having any issues connecting with yourself in parenthood connecting with your children any of those familiar feelings that you think might have come from being parented maybe and we also have a community so not a perfect parents you can sign up there for our newsletter groups lots of workshops i would love to teach you how to do eft we can use it for ourselves in our own life and we can use it with our children so we can gift them the ability to have the conversations with those unconscious worlds that we were perhaps not gifted as children if you would like to know more please just get in touch with me and I will talk your ear off about EFT
1: (laughs) yes highly recommended EFT I can say for myself EFT has changed my life so yeah and Jess has been part of my journey so I highly recommend her Thank you for today, Jess. Thank you for letting me interview you. And I hope your listeners have enjoyed the podcast today. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for the final episode of series one of Not A Perfect Parent. If you're a parent struggling to connect with yourself or your children, or you'd like to join our Not A Perfect Parent community, visit us at breatheeasymeditation.co.uk. And if you've got a story to share and you'd like to talk about being a guest next series, you can email me at jess at breatheeasymeditation.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you for the next series.